Good morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, uh, starting in chapter 1, we'll get started in chapter 1 and move our way through a bit of the book. Uh, Greetings to you from Alliston. Uh, I uh, am a part of a local body of believers in Alliston, Uh, so my family is meeting at Grace Baptist Church as we speak. We start at the same time as you guys, so I was texting all of my elders during worship, and they were annoyed that I was trying to distract them during service. Uh, No, I really wasn't. I was... Um, but just greetings from our church. We worship together in a very similar way that you do, and it's just wonderful to be with you and to see the, the Lord's body in different places. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at the idea of being a, a missional church. And just as we do that, I thought I'd give you just a bit of a report um, about uh, Feb Central and what we're doing all across Ontario. So, Uh, I bring greetings to you from all of our churches across southern Ontario, and just so you know that in the last, uh, since 2010, we have planted 69 new churches across southern Ontario, working together, your church and my church and other churches working together to plant new churches. We are currently this year working on planting, uh, between last year, this year, and the year to come, we are currently working on 37 new church plants uh, in Ontario. Now, uh, new church plants are local bodies of believers who are going into a new area in Ontario, just like missionaries uh, around the world, trying to reach a local community. And we really believe that even though we have many churches in Ontario, we still need believers to go into specific targeted areas. So we are currently working on 37 churches, and in the next two years, we have 17 churches ready and uh, preparing to send out uh, small groups of people to go into different areas uh, and plant new churches. So I'm a part of that ministry, Uh, you're a part of that ministry, and it's just an exciting thing to be a part of, uh, because we are a a group of people who have been called to be on mission. So we're just excited to do that together. Would you bow your heads and we'll just ask that the Lord would be with us this morning as we take in his word. Dear Father in heaven, we, um, every single one of us, need desperately to hear from you this morning. We are grateful, Father, that you are the God who reveals yourself, that We have not been left without a word from you. Uh, you, We are uh, people who can follow wonderfully our Lord Jesus, whom you sent to be our uh, brotherly example, to be conformed to his likeness. This morning, as we open your word, I pray that you would soften each one of our hearts, that you would help each one of us to listen And that the words that we uh, learned this morning from your word would um, bear much fruit in our lives in the coming days, in the coming weeks. So, uh, Father, we are longing to uh, encounter you this morning by the work of your Holy Spirit. Would you be with us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So we are going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6 primarily, but sometimes when we look at a particular section of Scripture, we need to look a little bit back at what's called a pretext. So there is a context that Deuteronomy 6 is landing in, and it comes after the events of Deuteronomy chapter 1. And so it's important just to look a little bit at the pretext as to what's going on before we get to the actual text. And uh, Deuteronomy is a fascinating and wonderful book, and uh, Moses writes it in the same way that we get other Hebrew narratives, where some of the details are subtle. And I want to begin this morning by showing you a few subtle details that might help you understand what's going on. So if we read Deuteronomy chapter 1, starting at verse 1, we read this. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan. That is in the Arabah, opposite of Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazarath, and Dizabah. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, by the Mount Seir Road. Now, I got up this morning early and practiced all of those names again. (laughs) And in order to help you understand a little bit of the subtlety going on in the passage already, I brought a few maps. So um, what we are about to see is if you look to the top of the map, Moses is standing with the people And they are on the east of the Jordan River in an area known as Arabah. And then, if you want to just, the next one, we'll we'll focus in on that. So right, this is right opposite of Jericho. So that's where they're, that's where they're camped. And he gives us this very specific location. And then verse 2 says, it takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. And so the next piece of information is the next map. And it's this detail where he shows you and tells you how long it goes from Mount Sinai up to Kadesh Barnea. And you might say, why didn't you tell me the information about it takes 11 days to go from Kadesh Barnea to go to Arabah? And it's because Moses is just subtly giving us some information about what he's about to say. Go to the next slide. And, and so this is a modern map of Israel. This is, I just, I just grabbed this off of Google Maps. And so if you drive from the, if you, if you drive from Mount Sinai up into Israel, uh, up to Kadesh Barnea, it takes about six hours driving. It's 435 kilometers. If the people were, were walking at, um, 10 hours a day, walking four kilometers an hour, it would be about an 11 day journey. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. Go last slide, and that's all. It, so to go from Mount Hor, where they were at Kadesh Barnea, all the way up to Arabah, is about the same distance. So, we're being told something interesting and subtle, and we're being told that if you were to go from Mount Sinai to 
Kadesh Barnea, where the people stopped for a camp, and something happened there where they were supposed to go into the land, but they didn't. And then you were to go from there and just complete the journey as normal. It would be about a 20 day, 22 day journey. You can take that down now, or else people won't look at me the entire sermon. Let's be looking up there. <laughs> Which, by the way, did you guys notice that at the moment of confession today in your service, a part of that was all of those who didn't sign up to come downstairs and learn and have lunch together? Part of that confession. So sign up for that. But anyways, we see this little point. Now, it, this, is, this is where Hebrew narrative is subtle and fun. And if you don't get into the subtleties, you miss it and you think it's all boring. Look at the very next verse. Yet, in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. And all of us in our thinking minds say, what? It was supposed to be 22 days. It's only a 22-day journey. What is going on? Why is it that it's 40 years later that Moses is now teaching the people again all of the things that the Lord has commanded? And this is the way Hebrew narrative works. It gives us a hint of the problem. It gives us a hint of the indictment. Everybody who's reading that, it would be like, saying, uh, Mike got in his car and uh, he drove from Alliston to London and it takes about an hour and a half to go from Alliston to Toronto. And everyone would go, oh, okay, so an hour and a half to Toronto, Toronto here. Oh, it's about a three hour, two and a half hour drive depending on who's driving. Great. 40 years later, <laughs> Moses said to the people, there's some irony here. And there's some scolding going on right in the passage before the scolding starts. Read with me at verse 6. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain, so that's Sinai, break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites, go to all of the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains. Verse 8, see... I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. You're connecting it still. Flip over to verse 26 of chapter 1 still. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the the command of the Lord your God, you grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us up out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? And then pointing back to the spies who led the bad report, our brothers have made us lose heart. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large and, the, and with walls up to the sky. And we saw the Anakites there. You, so you, you, you refused to do what the Lord has done. And again, we're expecting immediate judgment, but that's not what happens. Verse 29, then I said to you, 
Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the desert, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. You saw. If you're taking notes, all you have to do is write, you saw. And then fill in the blanks. You saw. What did they see? God had performed miraculous wonders, so much so that Pharaoh, the known ruler of the world, was brought to his knees. He brought those ten plagues upon Egypt. God had led them in the desert with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God had taken them through the Red Sea and defeated the Egyptian army simply by having water rise up and then walk through on dry ground and then water miraculously fall on the Egyptians. He gave them water from a rock when they were all about to be uh, parched. That's not even the good stuff. Uh, Then we get the provision of the law the good and perfect law of God, the Ten Commandments. When the Lord had finished speaking to Moses at Mount Sinai, he gave him two tablets of testimony, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. They had seen the Israelites uh, receive and eat quail and manna. Now just fill in the blank. You saw For those of you who have been walking with the Lord for a time, what have you seen him do? Just write it in. You saw. Because the Lord does things all over the place, right in front of our very eyes, and instead of trusting him, we say, no, seriously, it's Sarah's fault. Sarah's my wife. (laughs) Or it's Gabriel's fault. Gabriel's my second born. Or it's Mela's fault. Mela's my third born, most difficult child by far. Gonna be the... Prime Minister of Canada. She's fantastic. (laughs) So I I, I can think of the things that I saw in my life. What did you see, Mike? Well, you saw God protect you when you were young, when you were rebellious, when you're walking very far from him, when you were breaking laws, where you could have gone to jail. That that immediately comes to mind. What what else have you seen God do? Uh, God's seen me... uh, I mean, I've seen God answer very specific prayers, like, uh, Father, help me find... a a, a holy, good wife, and Father, help me to overcome the party scene Uh, in in very short order. um, I've seen the Lord uh, heal Gabriel from cancer. Uh, I've seen God work in uh, people just like you all over our wonderful province. Um, We've seen how the Christian uh, laws that are extrapolated from the Mosaic laws lead to life, liberty, and happiness. We see all all over the place. We see the wisdom of the Lord. You know, I'm teaching our young adults at our church through through the Old Testament right now, and we're at the wisdom literature. And I just love saying, look, you're young and you're stupid. So read the, read the Proverbs. They're for you. And, and you'll, you know, you can test these things. And I love watching my young adults get into scripture and go, 
yeah, like all of a sudden I'm making better decisions. What, what do you fill in the blank? What has God done in your life, right? Write it. You, see, you saw. And you've got to pick it up. Look at Hebrew literature. The, the, the narratives of the Old Testament don't stop the way we preachers do. It just keeps going. In fact, like if you read the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you can almost miss the resurrection because it's a few pages, you know? Like, it doesn't belabor the point. The little point is they had seen all of these things. And so have you. And so have I. And if you haven't, your eyes are not open. Verse 32. In spite of this, you did not trust the Lord your God ahead of you in your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and show you where you should go. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore. Not a man from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your forefathers, except Caleb, son of Jephnah, 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 sorry. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his face on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. You know, one of the things we do with our, with our church, the same way that you do with your with your children as we try to give catechism questions and good questions to ask. And one great question to always ask of Scripture is, is there an example for me to follow? Or is there an example for me to see here? And what is the example here not to follow? The example is a bunch of people who saw the greatness of God and you still did not trust Him. That's the example to avoid. You still did not walk step by step following him. You, you still did not let God invade your life. You still did not let God's wonderful direction and commands for you be lived out. Again, we're still at the pretext. So let's turn to chapter 4 where we're going to see this now in a positive light in the sense of with this indictment in the background, the people have a great opportunity and the Lord tells them about the opportunity that they have. If you go to chapter 4, verse 1, we hear now, again, right, the context is Moses is 40 years later standing before them and he's calling them to listen. So he says, Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not add to what I command to you. Do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. And then skip down to verse 5. See, I have taught you... Decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land and that you are entering to possess of it. Sorry, I'll try to read that in English. (laughs) So that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Verse 6, observe them carefully for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations 
who will hear about these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods hear them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. Deuteronomus nomos, the second giving of the law. And he's inviting them saying, look, follow what the Lord has said. This is your second opportunity. And if you do, the people of the worlds will come to you and say, what other nation has a God like this God? What other people have a God so near to them What other people have such wisdom given to them, revealed to them from God? Now, when we talk about being a missional community or a missional church, this is where we have gotten it all wrong as a church. And this is all, I know, I'm going to get to my sermon soon. What is it that draws the nations to worship God. It is that God's given wisdom permeates His people. And the problem with the North American church is that we would answer that question differently. We would say, what draws people to worship God? And we would all say, Kevin Costner's movie, A Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. And if you haven't seen that movie because you're older than me, then you can see the movie. If you don't know what that movie is because you're younger than me, don't bother. But it's this whole imaginary world where Kevin Costner makes this whole movie about imaginary baseball players that show up in his field because he built them a really cool baseball diamond. And we, the church, have adopted the if you build it, if you are attractive, if you are everything they want, they will come church. If we build it, I'm not joking about this. I work with young church planters day after day after day. I train young adults in apologetics day after day after day. And the one thing I hear out of their mouths day after day after day is, but if you say it like that, won't that hurt their feelings? But if you do that, aren't you being offensive? But if you hold your ground, isn't that being hateful? Like, there, there are so many ways where the church has said, if we are perfect by the world's standards, then the world will be attracted to Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm getting at? If I, you know, if we just have the perfect worship set, then everybody who has never heard of the idea of worship will somehow stumble their way into this church building. Because they've heard we've got great music. Now look, I, I, I pastor a church just about your size. I know what it's like to just live with people like you and me where there's just, we just can't be that cool. 
I live in a community where all of the young rock stars go to the church down the road from me. I, I, you know, my son's getting to the marrying age where I'm hope, I literally was sitting there during worship this morning going, if only I can get Simon to marry Sophia, Sophia will have to leave her church and come to our church and she is an amazing musician. Because if you build it, if you have the best of everything, then they will come. It's a lie. And the offer on the table is if they hear about God's wisdom, God's commands, God's righteous decrees, then they'll flock to us. Then the nations will come. Okay, turn to Deuteronomy 6. I'll start my sermon. I swear, it's only two and a half hours long. I was at a church, I was at a church last week and the pastor made the error of uh, saying, yeah, you know, we've had a lot of guest speakers recently. It's been nice. You know, some of them have been up to two and a half hours long. And I got up and said, great. So that's, that's my go ahead. I got two and a half hours. So we're, right, we're not going to be that. Chapter six, verse one. Almost the exact repetition of chapter four, verse one. These are the commands, decrees, the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are possessing, that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, Be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and so that you may increase greatly in the land, flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. And he's about to give a number of very important imperatives, very specific commands for a people of God who want to see the nations come to them and give glory to God. And here is the commands that he gives them. Hear, O Israel, The Lord your God, the Lord is one alone. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your strength. These commands I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. There are really two important, how do I be a missional church texts in the Bible. The first one is is Acts 242 to 48 which is like they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and they lived in harmony and everyone was in awe that's the new testament text 
Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the Old Testament equivalent to calling a church. What does it look like to be a city on a hill in the Old Testament? This is what it looks like. And I just want to remind you of the imperatives here. First, hear. What do I hear? I hear that God is one and God is God alone. Will you hear that? There are no other gods. We live in a polytheistic society now. You realize that, right? You realize that there are literally, like you go to restaurants and idol worship is going on within the restaurants that we attend these days because we are a bunch of polytheists in our culture. What is the first thing we need to hear? It is that God is God alone. I had a guy leave my church about eight years ago. And on the way out, we did an exit interview. And I don't know how Pastor Nate does exit interviews at my church. Exit, at your church. Exit interviews at my church, you know, sometimes leads to assassinations. But other times, it goes well. This guy said, uh, one, of the reasons, one of the reasons we're leaving is that your preaching is too centered on men. Your preaching is just too much about humans and not about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I didn't like this guy, so I was kind of happy he was leaving, but uh, that irked me. And I said to myself, okay, like, let's not just throw out everything. Let's go and look back. So I had looked back on a number of the sermon series that I had done, and I had just looked back on a number of my manuscripts and I was like, dang, he is right. I have been talking to, I have been, I have been preaching the if you build it, they will come gospel. My second son, Gabriel, was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, for those of you who have struggled with any type of serious illness or a family member who has struggled, there is nothing more humbling and more stopping of your heart than My son could face eternity tomorrow, two weeks from now, a year from now. If God doesn't heal him, he is gone. I better talk about the resurrection and the resurrection body a little bit. That boy better understand eternal life, right? Not just how to be a good boy. Here, brothers and sisters, we have a God who is God alone. He is worthy to be trusted. He is worthy to be praised You have seen what he has done. How often is our personal lives just, how often do we stop and reflect on, I have seen what God has done. You got to hear that. We cannot be a people of light into this community if we ourselves are not constantly hearing the good news of the greatness of our God. At our church, one of the anthems at our church is uh, How great is our God Sing with me how great is our Yeah, that's, I'm leading you How great, how great is our God So we, we have the kids come up too 
and we do the action. So the song is like, how great is our God? Sing with me, how great is our God? And there's this point in our whole church where everyone goes, how great, how great. And everyone's got their two fists in it, is our, and it's just powerful because God is great and worthy to be praised. And young adults, you know, in this room, I didn't believe that for many, many years. I went to church and I got bored and I got rebellious because I just didn't believe the greatness of our God. But if you have lived life, you have seen the goodness of God. Journal it, write it, write it down, and believe it. The greatness of our God expressed in Christ, just coming and humiliating, humbling himself to be our substitutionary atonement. It's by the word substitute, like in a ball game. That is a great story. Number two, love. Hear how great God is. The second imperative is love the Lord God with your heart and your soul and your strength. Love. Love is something that wells up within me and as it wells up within me, as it overflows in from me, it crowds out and disperses of garbage, of love for other stuff. Uh, uh, love in my life for my wife means that as, the, as I choose to love my wife, love flows up in me and crowds out the love of all other women and eventually overflows and disperses the love of all other women or women. Like, not that I don't love women, but I don't love women. You know what I mean? So, uh, the love of the Lord wells up in me and then overflows and gets rid of the love for all the other gods and idols that I have in my life. I don't know about you, but my, my kids every once in a while like to pour me a coffee. And Gabriel, I, I'm picking on Gabriel a lot today because he's my second born and I always pick on my first born. So today, it's, if it's being recorded, Gabriel, this is your time. Gabriel is our, a, like, he's not ADD kid. He's our easily distracted kid. How many of you have an easily distracted kid? So Gabriel like, hey dad, you want me to pour you a cup of coffee? He'll be like, great. And then he'll be like pouring the cup of coffee and his brother will walk in and they'll start talking about Star Wars and all of a sudden Gabe's like, I know! And I know! And I can just watch my coffee cup fill, 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 and then overflow and overflow. And, you know, it just, that's what love is like. It, 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 as I love, and again, you know, with my heart, the center of my being, with my mind, as I am, uh, my, my thinking being, my soul, as is talked here, my, my eternal essence, and all of my strength, my, my muscles, as I love the Lord, that love overflows and crowds out other gods. The problem is, is the world often looks at us and says, well, you got just as many gods as I have. Hear the greatness of our God. He is God alone. Love the Lord our God 
because he is worthy to be loved and that is the only way we crowd out other gods. Thirdly, impress these commands upon our children. Impress. The idea to impress is taking a stamp and pushing it upon an object until an imprint is left. If I'm going to get a building permit, somebody in the township office is going to need to put their stamp and impression upon it so that I can go to my contractor and say, yep, we've got the building permits passed. Impression can also be like filling a sponge, taking a dry sponge and just pouring it and pouring it with, with water. The image of an engraver on a monument that hammers and chisels with painstaking care to etch out a text that can be read and that can be referenced to. We are to take these things and impress them upon our children. And how would I do that? I have no idea. How do I impress God and his commands on my children? I've got no idea how to do that. Oh, well, just talk about the commands of God when you sit. Talk about God when you walk along the road. When, when you lie down, uh, talk about him and his commands. And when you get up, I guess... You just share with things about God. Like, it's not rocket science. We in the church make discipleship like the most difficult thing on earth. And it's just tell people about the God you know, how much you love him, and how much you trust his commands wherever you go. That is discipleship. A few years ago, this image always comes to my mind. A few years ago, I was doing a wedding. We were out in the countryside doing this wedding. Gabriel had traveled with me. And uh, there, the most beautiful rainbow. Uh, Everyone was worried about rain. The rain kind of missed us. But the rain was around enough that just as the wedding was about to start, beautiful rainbow. We just got to sit down and tell your kid about Noah and God's faithful promise to keep his covenant to Noah and how the whole world was destroyed for their sin, but God saved and was gracious to Noah and his family. It took like three minutes. Whatever. Not a problem. This is where this spills over into society, and this is where I'm cheating this morning because the exact application of this is do this to the kids of your family and your church. But the outside illustration is, is do this for the nations, like bring God's commands to them and talk about them in front of the pagans so that they know the goodness of God and then they run to you and go, who else has this wisdom? And finally, in verses 10 to the simple command is, do not forget the Lord. Now you've got a, again, the, 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 the fairly subtle irony going on here, but just read it with me as, like read along with me. 6.10, 
When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, now he pauses the land, a land with large flourishing cities. What? That you didn't build. And with fantastic water wells uh, that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. So, just reiterating the point, when, when God brings you into the place where God gave you the great stuff God said he'd give you, and you didn't do anything for it, when you eat and are satisfied, when you are fat and supple, when you are excited about your brand new crossbow, when you're excited about whatever it is that God is, you're happy about, don't forget the Lord. How many of you have allergies? Anybody in the room have allergies? So I have terrible seasonal allergies. Like one of the hardest things about our church is that I just hate going to people's houses in our church because people like cats and they like dogs. I like to shoot cats and I like to shoot dogs. But my allergies, like if I were to, I, a dog house, I can last two hours. A cat house, I'm like a week man crying in like four minutes. Like we have two cats and they will stay outside. We, we have a cat. He, we've had him for 10 years and he does not come in our house so badly that I found out last year that my neighbor has been feeding him and bringing him in all winter long. And it's like, dude, I've been trying to starve that thing so he would mouse. Like, come on. It's been feeding my cat for like six years. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. It's like allergy medicine. If you take it faithfully, I am sure if you have allergies, you have come to this. All of a sudden, one day you go, well, I've been like five months without any bad allergies. I probably don't need this pill anymore. Right? You ever been that about a medication where it's like the medication is helping you along? So all of a sudden in your dummy brain, you go, oh, I must not need the medication anymore. That's how we are with God. Oh, God's given me everything I could ever want. I didn't do anything for it. What could that be like? Oh, it could be like sending his son to die on the cross for me and substituting for me. Yeah, gave me that. Oh, it could be like all these answered prayers wonderfully. It's like putting me into a country where I can live free under the rule of law, which actually even generally still expresses in some ways God's good laws. I'm a part of a church family that loves and cares for me, even though I'm not the most fantastic individual on earth. You know, uh, I probably don't need God anymore. Like, isn't that what we do? Isn't that what the Church of North America has literally done? Isn't this an indictment on all of us? If you really want to be a missional community, it is very simple. Hear that the Lord is God alone. Love the Lord sincerely with all you got. Make sure everybody around you, including your children, and primarily your children, know that deeply. 
And then when God has given you everything you could ever imagine, make sure you don't forget him. If we do that type of thing, Canada and other Canadians will come to us and they will say, surely this is a great church. Surely this church is wise and understanding and the people have wisdom and they are an understanding people. What other religion on earth, what other community of faith, what other theistic apologists are so great as these people who seem to have a God who is near whenever they pray to him? What other nation is so great as to have the righteous decrees and laws that the laws of the Lord are on these people. Church, seriously, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about downstairs about it, but if you want to be a missional community, you cannot lose your young people. You just can't. Uh, I'm at a church now. I came to our church 10 years ago, and I came to our church, and my kids were the only kids in the entire church. I have a wonderful group of 80 to, and 70 and 80-year-olds when we came to the church. When they hired me, they said, we do not care what you do as long as you teach the Bible, but do whatever you can to get young families to come back to this church. Over the next number of years, we chose to do some things very differently. Um, I, you don't have to do any of this, so... Please don't be careful. The youth pa- is the youth pastor away? Okay, the youth pastor's away. Uh, we canceled our youth ministry. We stopped Sunday school. We said, we are no longer just going to do what everybody else is doing, and we're going to stop and think. And everyone said, well, well, what's the plan? The plan is that parents are going to impress upon their children their love of the Lord and his commands. Yeah, 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 but what's the real plan? The plan is that parents are going to impress upon their children. Because I, and you know, the, the seniors fought me for about six weeks. And then Yanni Epima got up at the beginning of our church and said, you know, I am 70 years old and I have three adult children and not one of them are walking with the Lord. We should at least, you know, maybe give scripture a shot. <laughs> and then her husband got up in tears and said, you know, we, we, we didn't impress upon our children our love of the Lord. So now we've landed at different places, you know. I kind of have a thing that looks like a youth ministry now. And, but we stopped and said, we have to get our young people because all of us, the adults, love God. And we have to tell them and tell them and tell them and tell them. And sometimes we're not telling them, right? We're telling them to be quiet in church, but we're not telling them how much we love God. And then secondly, this is our strategy for the lost. Our strategy for the lost is simply love God and impress upon everybody around us. So why why are you so against that thing? Right? That's, the, that's what culture says. And we are. So we've got to stop saying we're not. We are against a lot of things that culture wants to do. Why are you against? Because I love God. 
We've got to stop saying, well, because I've got a statistic from the uh, medical journal of blah, 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 and, uh, and make it a whole rational thing. We've, we've got to, we can be rational beings, but we've got to start with our affection of God and our belief in him. And then we can move to these other areas. Here, everybody want to just, it's okay if you say it with me and then I'll be done, I promise. Ready? Just, you repeat it after me. Here, Love, impress like a dagger going into the child's heart, in like a like a Bible. Impress, impress, and don't forget our good God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we desperately want to be a city on a hill. We desperately want to be people of light. We desperately want to be like the prophets of old who scream the good news and receive the fruit of that labor. We want to be like the apostles who are eyewitnesses to the work of Jesus. We desperately want to be like the people of faith who looked forward to a city that they, that they couldn't yet put their feet upon but these people who trusted you by faith. We ask you to work in us. We ask that this community here, right here in London, would be transformed by Knollwood Baptist Church, by the work of this church, and the body of believers that is here. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.